This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Mindariwal. And welcome to The Loop. This week on The Loop, um, somehow I've managed to send Min even farther away. What's up, bud? <laughs> I, I am so far away. You're so the glass but wasn't enough. I can hear you. <laughs> I sent you. Yeah, the, the glass was not enough. I sent you all the yeah. way home. We can hear each other. Yeah. I can't see you, so you may or may not be wearing pajamas. No. I'm not sure what the vibe is. No, I've got uh, I've got some K-way pants on and a hoodie, <laughs> and uh, not exactly professional attire, but. Uh, you you just gotta you just gotta run roll with the punches, right? No, this is where you lie but, um, and tell me you're wearing a three piece suit. You know, yeah, three just piece to make suit. me feel bad. I've been sitting at home since Monday in a three piece suit, <laughs> um, drinking Neo Citrin and popping, you know, Advils and just trying to get rid of what se- sounds like just a head cold. So yeah. I'm thankful for that, right? I mean. Um, could be a lot worse right now definitely and i mean this is the reality right like you've got the sniffles you're feeling rough yeah you're staying home you just you're you're, fu- you're okay you, you're following the rules yeah definitely had the sniffles and uh it just kind of came on out of out of the blue you know i was i was out with some buddies on saturday playing uh hockey on the odr because <laughs> it was such a beautiful day and we yeah. finally had gotten out of the deep freeze and sunday morning i wake up a bit of a sore throat and then uh just uh, things were plugged up a couple of rapid tests later you know yeah. Uh, I'm negative, but uh, the cold is kind of exiting my body, so that is good. That's good. And, and this is the thing, right? I mean, I think we're all kind of like taking it week by week at this point. Omicron is yeah. is changing things so quickly. Um, I don't even I, I don't even think it's worth it to go over the exact numbers, except to say they're right. very bad and, and they're constantly changing. Um, you know, hospitalizations are up, case counts continue to rise. Um, COVID mm-hmm. is turning into a massive issue again in both long-term care and even Alberta's correctional facilities. This week, we learned right. that even the health minister has COVID-19. Um, Saw that tweet. Yeah, which always feels like just a, an interesting, you know, it, it could happen to anyone, but it is everywhere. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, how are you feeling about all this news? I mean, because I feel like I feel a little numb at this point. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly is. Uh, it ramps up the anxiety a little bit. I mean, I try not to let it get to me, but I but I hear what you're saying. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who um, have said, yeah, we had it over the holidays or my family got it or we had one person in the family get it and then we all got it. Um, I saw the health minister's tweet. So, I mean, it it it, it is possible to get this and it feels a lot easier than uh, maybe this time last year, right? Yeah. So um, it is kind of, uh, uh, you know, a little overwhelming at times hearing it from all sides, but uh, I think it's just a reality of uh, of where we're at right now. Yeah, and, and I think the thing about this wave is that we're all living in this really intense time, and we've been given a tool to figure it out to try and keep ourselves safe. Of course, that tool mm-hmm. being rapid tests, which also right. are absolutely impossible to find. Um, I mean, the delay of rapid test kits is, is not news necessarily. It's got many people in the city scrambling to try and find a way to get them. Alberta Health is yeah. hoping to send, I think, thousands more to pharmacies in the coming weeks, but this is millions of tests not happening across the province. People yeah. um, not feeling well, but not being able to check. And and Min, uh, you found out a little something about kind of the impact of all this and, and how people are responding. Yeah, I, I certainly did. And, um, and, and it is kind of weird because, you know, for the longest time we were able to get tested, you know, yeah. uh, by just making a call, set an appointment, and it was there for us, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden it feels like someone just kind of went, whoop, and just yeah. kind of pulled the rug right out from under yeah. you. And, 
And it's and it it really is having a huge effect, Claire. Right, and uh, on everyone really, and uh, from people who need the test kits to get back to work. I mean, there's kids mm-hmm. needing it to find out if they can go to school or yeah. not. Of course, businesses. I mean, it's. Uh, just an absolute juggle, right? Trying to make sure people are able to come into work, and if they if they are able to come in, they're well enough to do so. Uh, I can't imagine, uh, you know, trying to uh, run a business under these conditions right oh, now, yeah. but uh, people are doing it. So one of the people I talked to uh, was Tony Britton, and he's the operations manager for a restaurant called Dosk, which is right downtown. And uh, on the day we went to see him, he was he was right there, busy working on the floor. He had a full staff, luckily, but he says it's been a juggle for them. Uh, his boss's own Dosk, uh, Japonais, and Derinku. So they have uh, up to 200 staff uh, wow. on the floor uh, in the restaurant, uh, in, in their front office. So uh, they certainly uh, could use some rapid tests, yeah. right? Uh, if they could get them. And especially if someone calls in sick or has to isolate for five days, you know, that means that they do a lot of shifting of people, right? People have to cover for each other. And for some people who aren't sick, that might mean working way more hours, double the hours that they're used to. So uh, it really is, uh, you know, it has been tricky um, from uh, listening to Tony talk about it. And, um, you know, he has to make sure that uh, the restaurants are staffed uh, with people who aren't sick with COVID. So he told me the biggest challenge out of all of this is getting their hands on these rapid test kits for employees to uh, check and see if uh, they have COVID or if it's just a simple cold. So obviously we are going to trust our employees. We've hired them in trustworthy positions. We have to trust them with money and everything else. Um, but there is no proof saying that like they didn't get a picture off the internet with a positive test. There's no saying that they have a negative test that they could possibly also produce. There's no doctor's note. There's no there's no credit credit credible information coming from are people sick or not. We have to trust our team and hope that they are going to be honest. But when times get tough and money gets tough, you never know. So for for us and our company, I can't speak for all companies, but we're obviously gray area. We're going to lean towards whatever is the most safe. If you have a sniffle and you don't know, you're going to stay home. Um, probably should be that way anyways in our industry it hasn't been that way forever but yeah at the minimum risk like a lot of people are going to stay home because we don't know and we're not able to find out I think PCR testing right now is four days behind that's already the whole entire isolation almost I like that he notes that you know back in the day like if you had a little sniffle you might still go to work right and things have just changed so much and and it's true that maybe that is a standard that we're moving towards but um the shortage of rapid test kits, is, it's felt so much. They're constantly looking, right? Like, are they able to find any? Yeah. Are they able to get any help? Yeah, it sounds like they are. And, and you're right. I mean, uh, you know, there's, I think there's just too much at stake now. Yeah. Like even if you just have a sniffle and you come in, what if that ends up uh, taking out five other people? Yeah. Or, two other, or one other person. Exactly. So, yeah. He says that, that the... the you know the risk is t- too great right now to to even kind of chance it right so yeah. uh, but back to those rapid test kits i mean it's it's amazing I, I, the restaurant community and hospitality folks in general they're, they're really helping each other out and they're kind of banding together cuz they are all facing the same challenges right so uh, tony explained to me how a bunch of uh, the uh, restaurant managers and owners in in the downtown they've created a whatsapp group uh, and you know they mm-hmm. talk to each other on a daily basis and most often than not the conversation starts with, you know who is searching for rapid test kits for their employees for us yeah there has been some like i can get a rapid test now can you grab yours next week um the, we have group chats for the industry right now where it's hey i know this pharmacy has some right now if you need them, go grab them. Um, there's been a lot of community as far as that goes in the restaurant industry. But you would think that a front-facing business where there's high contact and risk, there'd be some sort of support from the government 
for us to ensure our guests are safe and that our team is safe. And how frustrating is that as far as uh, a business uh, trying to operate under these conditions? Uh, as far as being frustrating, obviously it's very frustrating. We need our team safe, our number one priority. Um, if our team isn't safe, we can't keep our guests safe. If we can't do either one of those, we literally don't have business because without safety, cleanliness, all those things, they're the backbone of the restaurant industry still. Of course, we sell food and drink, but without those things, people don't go out. I think it's it's pretty evident how this is affecting the food service industry and restaurants a lot. But I also can't right. help but think about all the other businesses downtown who are feeling this kind of crunch. Yeah, downtown, right across the city, all over the place, really, Absolutely, uh, Claire. Yeah. I mean, 100%, it's, it's uh, having a huge impact. Uh, for people who run restaurants. And I, I, of course, reached out to Panita McBride. She runs a downtown business association. Ironically enough, she was there the day we went to go see Tony. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and um, so we caught up with her afterwards. But uh, she says that, you know, she hears uh, from many of these businesses and, and she's been in close contact with them throughout the pandemic. Uh, she's hearing about all kinds of frustration, not just from the service industry, but uh, different shops and other types of businesses. It's a battle, she says, uh, you know, keeping the lights on for some of these folks and, um, you know, let alone making the place safe for employees and the customers who are walking through the front door. It's frustrating to say the least. I've, I've heard from a couple of businesses, um, one, which isn't, uh, downtown, but another local business that just fully had to, to close for a day or more that they otherwise would have been open because staff are sick and, and they don't know for sure that it's COVID, but and when, when your staff is, is taken out with um, even a really, really bad cold or flu and you have a staffing shortage, you're left with very few options. And then you add um, the limited availability of testing and, and business owners have no choice right now but to just assume that if a staff member or yourself uh, as a business owner, if, if someone's sick, um, you have any symptoms similar to COVID, the assumption just has to be made that it is COVID. That's the only safe way to operate right now. And it's, it's really, really hard. I don't think it's particular to those businesses. I think it's any service-based business, honestly. I'm hearing from other types of businesses too. I know in childcare, it's a massive problem right now. Daycares are struggling for the same reason. Um, even, you know, dentists' offices, like anywhere where you don't have easy access to um, a large staff that can can fill in and you have a small team and you know you're barely covering your opening hours as it is it's it's extremely difficult and I think what's different about this wave is it feels like everyone especially you know in my circle and talking to business owners feels like everyone under 40 um, either has COVID or recently has COVID or we can expect that we're all going to in the near future so it just feels so much more all-consuming um, and everyone is impacted at this point. Um, it, it really does feel different this time around. She's not kidding. I mean, that's the inevitability no. of this round of COVID, right? Is I, I can't imagine mm-hmm. what it'd be like to be in charge of people that aren't just me, you know, and, and trying to navigate yeah. it when we're all just kind of sitting here thinking that we might get it. Because it, it just feels different yeah. this time around. And I think even to just on an individual level, like this lack of tests has been really – like I've had trouble finding tests for yeah. myself. I know I'm definitely not alone in that. Um, the only yeah. way that I managed to get my hands on some was Mark Connolly happened to have a spare one at home <laughs> and was willing to do a drive-by, uh, which was very kind of him, I should note. Um, nice. And I know you mentioned that you even had some troubles getting your hand on tests, right? Yeah. 
We, I mean, I wish we would have grabbed some right around Christmas time. Yeah. And, um, we just got caught up in all of the Christmas stuff and got busy, right? And so um, you start going to pharmacies and you're seeing signs like we don't have rapid test kits available. And I've seen those pretty steady since about yeah. Christmas. But uh, yeah, a friend of mine just lives uh, you know, down the street. He, he came by to drop something off, um, non-test kit related, COVID-related <laughs> before the holidays. But he had a couple of extra boxes because nice. he's a pharmaceutical rep. And so he had some and he said, hey, I don't know if you guys need any, but sure enough, uh, I've been using them this week and uh, we used some before Christmas. And so they, they certainly have come in handy. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had any, right? And it yeah. would have been just a kind of a guessing game. It's been, it's really just the luck of who you know and, and who happens to have some. But for people who don't yeah. have, say, a Mark Conley or a friend who works in the right. pharmaceutical industry, it's a huge exactly. challenge right now to get tests, you know? Um, yeah. But I have been seeing a lot of posts and it feels like social media is kind of maybe playing a role in connecting people to tests in a way, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we always talk about social media and sometimes the negative aspects of it, but oh, this yeah. has certainly been one of the biggest positive things I've seen uh, come about. And uh, it seems like there's a bit of a groundswell. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you just go online and search for uh, rapid test kits, uh, you will see all sorts of posts pop up. Um, Sheldon Leneuf is one of those people who had some extra test kits, uh, which he secured before Christmas. He's working from home. He didn't need them as much as he thought he would. And then when a friend put up a post looking to see if anyone had any, he answered the call. So what ended up happening was uh, before Christmas, um, I had booked my booster shot in one of the downtown pharmacies here, and they happened to have the boxes of rapid tests available. Now, a few days before, and you don't think about it when you're out and about, but I've like I've gone to a few different pharmacies here in, um, in downtown Edmonton, and there were a lot of lineups, and those lineups were for rapid tests, so everybody was trying to get their hands on them. So, of course, when I got my booster shot, I, that's how I ended up getting mine. Um, my box of, of tests. I took them home with me to Saskatchewan for Christmas. I'm not sure if I needed them because I've got two very sick family members who um, have chronic health conditions that if they end up getting COVID, it could really, it could really be harmful for them. And then I came home and um, as time went on, especially over the past couple of weeks, I've noticed a lot of my Facebook friends and my Twitter friends have been asking if anybody has rapid tests at all that they'd be willing to spare or donate um, just because they just can't get their hands on them anywhere in any of the pharmacies here in Edmonton or even outside of Edmonton. The person that I donated them to actually she's a really good friend of my sister-in-law's and we're friends on Facebook and what had happened was the morning that she put the call out for rapid tests um, I messaged her right away and said hey do you still need them so we coordinated to get those rapid tests to her later on that afternoon. I think, you know, for everybody that posted about, you know, looking for rapid tests, uh, usually a few hours, like by the time I'd see their post, I'd, I'd send a quick message and say, hey, do you, do you still need them? And a lot of people have already like managed to get them from either their friends or family members, or they were able to locate a pharmacy. Um, I noticed over the past couple of days, like I've gone to all of these nearby pharmacies here and they either have a sign up saying there's no rapid tests or they just, you know, when you talk to the pharmacist, they don't have any. The provincial government definitely needed to do better instead of blaming the federal government, which seems to be their tone, uh, especially over the past few weeks. Um, you know, I know we're all in this together. It, it seems like most most of it is coming from the provincial government saying that you're on your own, and it's really unfortunate. I think there is something kind of kind of beautiful about how people are coming together and trying to take care of each other in this wave. Mm -hmm. I think, right? But I, I mean, as yeah. Sheldon said it needs to be noted that 
we're caring for each other in ways that the government just hasn't been able to. Um, do we know anything yeah. more now about when tests might be provided? So, yeah, apparently this week, Minister Copping said uh, only half a million of the 16 million rapid tests promised by Ottawa had arrived and the other 10 million government ordered from private suppliers is also caught up in delays and supply chain issues, So, which is unfortunate. Yeah. But uh, they are promising by the end of the month or in the next few weeks. So whatever comes first, I guess. But until then, mm. I guess it's welcome to the Hunger Games, really. <laughs> and may the odds be ever in your favor. This week, CBC Edmonton lost a friend and colleague. Radioactive host Adrian Pan died last Saturday after battling a serious illness for months. She was 43 years old. Our heart goes out to Ben, Adrian's husband, and her parents and family. Adrian really was a force at this station, leading the afternoon show since 2018. Before that, she helmed Edmonton's TV newscasts. Um, I mean, I definitely know her best for radio. I only arrived here in 2018. But, I mean, you got to right. work alongside Adrian in the TV studios a lot, right? Yeah, we we uh, shared the desk, or at least uh, <laughs> she was on the desk, and I would uh, jump in and, and uh, do a sports segment for a number of years. Yeah. And, um you know, I, I look back uh, at that time, and it and it was it was a blast. I mean, I've I've uh, been you know on the desk and anchor news or, or done a sports segment uh, many times with many different hosts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll tell you right now, not all are created <laughs> the same way. And Adrian Adrian was a pro. She was great. Yeah. You know, it didn't matter what the story was or you know um, uh, the the tone of the story or anything like that. She was great, especially at banter and being able to talk about stuff uh, non-scripted. And so, um, yeah, I have fond memories of uh, of being in this in the TV studio with her, and and then later on uh, downstairs when she was hosting Radioactive. And um, yeah, it has been a, a tough me- a tough week and and yeah. t- you know a tough uh, several months, right? Uh, yeah. Knowing that she's fighting what she was, and um, and now she's no longer with us, so. It is, it is hard. It's going to be hard moving forward. It is. Yeah. I mean, I think it was said multiple times, but there's there's a hole left at the station in her wake mm-hmm. and um, on all sides, right? She's worked with basically every team on the yeah. English side of CBC Edmonton. And, and so uh, today on The Loop, um, we want to celebrate our colleague and friend a bit with, I mean, it's just some of the amazing work that she did because there's way too much from over the years. She actually, she joined the podcast once, um, sharing her conversations with seniors, including her experience with her own parents as they signed up for and received their first COVID-19 vaccine. Um, That was just about a year ago. But I mean, Adrian covered everything, right? She was known for being able to easily switch from hard-hitting accountability interviews to restaurant reviews because food was her thing. <laughs> Loved it. Yeah. Um, eating, nobody ate on air like Adrian did, truthfully. Oh, um, yeah. She, she, brought the, she stepped the game up. Um, and community stories too because I think to her core, Adrian was a storyteller, right? And, mm-hmm. and a really yeah. compassionate one. And um, in 2018, she brought herself to the airwaves in a really personal way, which is – I don't think people understand how hard it is sometimes to tell your own stories. Yeah. She made a documentary uh, called The Pipeliner Wives Club, and it was centered around her relationship with Ben, her husband, and his work on pipelines and how that took him away from home for long periods of time. And then through this, Adrian discovered a community and women with a whole different story and outlook on life. And here's just a taste of her work there. 
At this point in time, I haven't seen Ben for over a month. When we met, Ben was working pipeline but felt he was done with it. Knowing that got us past our first date. Three years into our marriage, and off he goes. I miss him a lot. The most on Sunday mornings when we used to lay around in our PJs with the dog, eat a big breakfast, and catch up on a show we're watching together. But to be honest, I'm kind of mad, too. I didn't think I'd be living this life, left to do all the yard work by myself and celebrating my birthday on my own. I'm on my way to see Ben for a week at his current job, but while I'm there, there's something else I want to do. There's this group of women whose husbands work the pipeline who've chosen something else. They're the traveling pipeline wives, opting to live in trailers, pit stop apartments and hotels in tiny, unheard of places. They uproot, quit their careers, and follow their men and keep them on track to the million. Now, I'm not saying this is where I'm at, but I am curious about them. Most of those wives have done what I'm doing now, the distance thing, before joining their husbands on the road. And I want to understand. I want to understand how they do this. I'm going to meet these women who've given up so much to be with and support their husbands. I call them the Pipeliner Wives Club. I feel like just that line of like, I want to understand encapsulates so yeah. much about how Adrienne approached all of her work. Um, and that full documentary, which is an incredible piece, is available online, mm -hmm. the Pipeliner Wives Club. Uh, it's on the CBC's Doc Project, but it aired originally in November of 2018. So good. So I mean, good. Just, the, just her delivery. And it's it just felt like you were sitting like in a living room and she was telling you about you know, her experience. Yeah. yeah it's so genuine. Yeah. Like that, that is amazing. And I mean, you know, aside from telling damn good stories, well, mm -hmm. uh, she was also fun. I mean, I like all I've been thinking about is over this last week or so is her laugh. Yeah. I don't know if you remember her laugh, I but do. it was so infectious, infectious. And, um, uh, you know, I, she, she had a great sense of humor uh, she certainly knew how to lean in. Um, this next bit of tape is from an April Fool's Day, and it is a downright classic. Joking about something we all love to hate in the city, e-scooters. Well, e-scooters are back for a third season, and since many people complained about their use on sidewalks, the city has come up with a safety-driven solution. It's a public-private partnership between the city and Edmonton's newest e-scooter startup. Steve Cates has the details for us. He is the Acting Interim Assistant Director of the city's Shared Streets Infrastructure Renewal Pilot Project. And also on the line is Remington Sanders, the Sustainability Executive Officer at Sparrow Scooters. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. So, Steve, I'll start with you. Uh, what is this pilot project and how will it keep e-scooters off sidewalks? Well, you know, the city of Edmonton is super exciting, uh, excited to be running with this project where we will be opening up options for 
Edmontonians on the Anthony Hende. This is the idea we are going to be opening up a lane of the Hende for scooters only. For scooters only. So this is, is this like a shared bike e-scooter thing? Great question here. Um, We have heard from Edmontonians, you know, bike lanes do not fit with our culture. They do not work. So it is less so a space only for scooters, but a way to open up a major highway for people on scooters. We're not going to be separating folks. We're actually going to be making sure that we just get everybody to drive the same speed limits as a scooter would and really open up transportation options for Edmontonians across our city. Oh my gosh, but um, e-scooters, what's the top speed of an e-scooter? Isn't it like 30 kilometers per hour? Yes, you're correct. So we will be uh, instigating mass photo radar opportunities on the Henday, but this is really in an effort to open up transportation options for folks. We really want to open up the opportunity for scooters because they're really fun. Um, I just want to get back to one detail here about um, opening up a lane. Like, how are you going to make room for this on the Henday? So the Henday is like really wide. So I think we can make it work. And if people have concerns, the ditch is available. I've seen it happen. As a city official, I'm not going to directly condone that. But I'm going to say I've seen it happen. I've maybe seen it happen through my own windshield. Oh, um, scooters can can go about 70 kilometers on one charge, but the Hende is 78 kilometers long. Is there a risk here of people just getting stranded? Well, that's absolutely fair. And this is really where Remington's going to come in. And, you know, we're going to be able to work on this private public partnership to add some charging stations at places along the Hende. Oh, okay. Well, Remington, why don't you jump in here? Um, There are going to be charging stations. Is there going to be like a main depot where people can pick up their e-scooter and ride the Hende? That's a great question. Uh, I actually feel that a main depot would really be kind of clogging a bottlenecking system. We actually have sort of an innovative idea, and you maybe have heard about it. Um, It's called a sparrow copter. We, of course, at Sparrow Scooters believe that we need to have a bird in the eye. So I uh, will have my team in the sparrow copter kind of just at all times circling the air, looking for anybody who needs a scooter. They can just, um, you know, make a signal with their uh, smartphone, and I can, like, shoot one down to them with uh, my copter, or I could just come down and help them charge up. It's actually a really innovative way that I can at all times be watching the city from up there. And of course, we know that the government's going to be helping subsidize the copter and the the fees of running that. Oh, wow. Are you both big into e-scooting? I actually, unfortunately, uh, had an accident on my e-scooter, and I've just been too scared to get back on it. But, you know, I think that everybody else is a fan enough that I can take a a step back and they're still going to enjoy it for me. (laughs) And for myself, I actually live in St. Albert and don't uh, go to Edmonton. So I don't know what it's like. (laughs) Well, uh, I guess this would be your opportunity. You know, I, I need to ask both of you, what would you say to people who think this is maybe a bit of a foolish idea? You know, I'd have to say April Fool's! <laughs> oh, April Fool's! Big time! <laughs> that, you guys are pretty good. 
I, I have to say, you had some good answers. I did not anticipate the helicopter drop and pickup. Like that was that was pretty inspired. I I love that moment where she's cracking at the end. Oh, I don't know how they held it together for <laughs> that, that long. Five minutes. Like I could not do it. My God. Bike lanes do not fit with our culture. Oh my God. There were so many great lines in there, you know? Well, and even just it, when, it just, at the end when Steven said, it's like, I'm in St. Albert, so I don't, I don't go to Edmund. I, oh. Yeah. I, I, I can just see people's reaction while they were driving yeah. or if they were at home. You know, so many people must have got triggered, but thank God that they yeah. let them off the hook at the end. Jeez, that was gold. <laughs> well, and that, I think, that was radio gold, I think. It was. And I think it speaks to to what you were saying before about her laugh, right? And it was infectious. And she yeah. gave it freely, right? Like she was down mm. to have fun and lean in and like she cracked herself up yeah. with her own jokes. And I know she cracked the rest of us up too. But when it comes to like rolling with the punches and leaning in, I think Adrian really shone when the pandemic began Um, because, I mean, you remember, I remember making radio during that time was (laughs) interesting is the only word that I can possibly use. Um, And it still is. Even now, I mean, hello, you're at home. But she really did adapt to things with that good humor, with that laugh, but also with kind of kindness, um, especially Mm -hmm. as everything was so unexpected. So. As one final memory of Adrian on the Loop today, this is um, – uh, honestly, you use the term radio gold already, but I'm going to use it again. This is a golden <laughs> moment um, from an interview <laughs> in March of 2020. Well, it's really busy in the grocery stores right now. Most of the people working hard to keep those shelves stocked and work the checkouts aren't paid much more than minimum wage. So should they be compensated? Toby Heaps is the co-founder and president of the business magazine Corporate Nights in Toronto. Hi, Toby. Uh, Hi, Adrian. I I really apologize. It's kind of embarrassing. I'm just with my kid at the office and he has to go poo. Oh, it's a three. Um, I know we're on live air, but uh, I feel like I'm kind of torn between two places here. <laughs> you know what, Toby? You take care of that business. We'll go to a song and we'll come back to you. Okay? Okay, I'll be back in two minutes. Thanks. <laughs> okay. That's a first. That's an absolute radio first. I've been in this industry a long time. That's a first. I'm. I can't talk. My That's kid has to poop. Standing. <laughs> That's live radio, people. <laughs> All right, well, let's go to the tomb then. I do not know how they... Like, oh, yeah, you can hear her losing it. But the, the flawless reaction, just like, you know what? Go take care yeah. of that business. It's all well, good. Um, that was, of course, Adrian Pan uh, about to interview Corporate Night CEO Toby Heaps in March of 2020. And um, I think just like the perfect way to remember a brilliant broadcaster who was also just a yeah. kind and hilarious human. Yeah, um, big time. Yeah, our our hearts really do go out to Adrian's family and friends at this time, and and everyone in the community who really felt the mark that she made on Edmonton. The tributes, um, I know, Min, you've been watching them too, but that have come in over the last week have been really amazing. Oh, beautiful, right? And yeah. I think a perfect testament to how loved she was and how much good yeah. she did in the city. And I know here at the shop, uh, we're really going to miss Adrian's dedication, her honesty. Uh, her incredible journalism, and of course, her laugh. The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton. And our team this week is Min Dariwal, Leslie Goldstone, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common, and I'm Claire Bonnyman. 
As always, thanks for listening to us week in and week out. And there is always so much more to know and get into on the loop with us every Friday. So please leave us a rating or a review wherever you download the show. Or if you want to get in touch, we have an email address, theloop at cbc.ca. And uh, you can use the hashtag, theloopcbc, on social media or reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Mindariwal. And Claire, you are at Nanny Nob. Nob. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love that handle. And of course, follow the show on CBC Listen or your favorite podcasting app. Have a great weekend, everyone. It's so fun. I was so afraid. I was like, oh, God, Min's. Men's distance this week. It's going to be like, oh, like broken up? Yeah, but no, you're good. No, you sounded crystal. Like, you sound like you're just across the glass, but. I always sound good. (laughs) (laughs) You do sound good, Doug. You done done good. You done good. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.